The Mets were down by seven runs. They were down by six runs going into the ninth inning of Thursday night's game against the Philadelphia Phillies. And if you were listening to me speak on Friday morning, you probably already know what happened. With seven runs, basically everyone on the entire team contributing to a rally, a lot of it with two outs to win the game, a signature win. The type of game that when you look back uh, on a, uh, from a, from a world championship video is certainly the type of thing that's gonna be highlighted when you look back and say, this was a team of destiny. I don't know if that's true. Uh, I think it's the type of thing we remember only if they win the world championship. Uh, but un- uh, undoubtedly, uh, a really fun win. I'm Ted Berg. Tim Burton is still out, so I am flying solo, taking listeners' questions today. I see our room filling up. If you would like to join me on stage and ask a question, I am all ears. So uh, please do uh, raise your hand and chip in. It's been a while. I had a, uh, uh, a impro- uh, uh, unscheduled DL stint myself, but I'm I'm feeling better and uh, eager to talk about the Mets. Since uh, we last checked in, there was a no hitter, a combined no hitter, so uh, not quite as impactful as as Johan Santana's. I think any Mets fan would would prefer this go down the way it has, with Santana leading the way and um, and the combined no hitter coming later. But uh, undoubtedly, a really exciting game. Uh, something I, I would like to talk about if anyone's got questions about it. What stood out to me in that, and I see some people already already climbing up on stage, and, and something I will say uh, stood out to me in the no-hitter and also in Thursday night's game uh, was that Edwin Diaz looked fantastic. I think probably his two most dominant outings of the season came in those two efforts, and that excites me. Uh, Edwin Diaz is a guy who came from the Mariners and and, and good, good team that doesn't make the playoffs and has pitched for Mets teams that that haven't ultimately been competitive in, into September and so it's exciting to think that he might be a guy who who turns it up a notch uh when the lights get brightest again we've never really seen him in that spot uh other than these flashes certainly he has you know, we know the the closer mentality and the closer reputation so we hope for it from him, but uh, every every Mets fan has has seen what it looks like when when Armando Benitez climbs the mound in the postseason and all of a sudden looks like a totally different guy. You don't get that feeling with Diaz. It certainly seems like uh, when when that moment is there for him, he is going to seize it because he he has just looked unhittable in both those outings. Uh, striking up Bryce Harper in the no hitter wasn't quite as tough a, a section of the Phillies lineup last night, but still. Uh, very exciting to see. Uh, we've got some people waiting to ask questions, so we'll start uh, and get going. Uh, Eddie C., uh, is this is this the great Ed Coleman? Uh, it is not. How you doing? Uh, alas, but welcome nonetheless to uh, to make some radio magic. How are you? Thanks, Ted. I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, what's going on? Uh, I just have a quick question, not related to what the Mets have been doing recently, but have you heard anything about uh, Joey Lucchese recently? I feel like I, I have. I mean, I think that the understanding is that that Lucchese is is out for the year. Uh, I, I think that uh, it's you know with with now what we expect out of the Tommy John recovery, it's you know it, since it was middle of last season, you think like oh maybe he's throwing again by the end of the year, but mm-hmm. uh, I think that probably there's there's no way they 
rush him back to to get him on the mound in in 2022. Maybe like maybe like guys, it, it used to be I feel like that that there was this optimistic year long timeline, and you just said okay, like one year from this date. Yeah. Um, but as we've seen, I mean, as you saw with Syndergaard and 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 with Zach Wheeler and and so many other examples, like it sometimes it just takes a little longer, and sometimes you you want to. I think probably the better route is being cautious with those guys. Um, if we see Luce, Lucchese on the mound this year, I think that that seems like a, a good problem. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, we. Uh, Mets sitting at 19 and nine to head something off. Like uh, I, someone has asked a question. Daniel V has a question in the chat, and it was something I thought worth bringing up. He says the Mets have lost two, technically three, if you count Yohan Lopez, bullpen arms in a week. Is there a plan to replenish externally? It's a question that keeps coming up. Um, it's it's come up before on the show, in the live show, and I think it's in focus because there's like almost nothing else to complain about, about the Mets. The, the lineup has been so good top to bottom, especially now it seems like Francisco and is, is out of his slump with that big home run last night. Starling Marte, who had been in the middle of a bunch of big moments, but hadn't really been producing uh, across the board. Uh, again, had a huge night last night. Now his whole season looks, looks quite a bit better. The starting pitching staff, obviously goes the best saying has been spectacular. And so, you know, the one, the soft underbelly of this team is clearly the bullpen. Again, like that is, that is the issue with so many teams, like most contending teams, that is, that is going to be an issue. I think the way that Diaz has pitched is, is really promising. The way that Drew Smith has pitched is really promising. It seems like Seth Lugo has got it together now. Yes, they lost Trevor May. Uh, it, it's, that's, that's uh, not good. And given the way he was pitching, like it, it, it sort of, it hurt them multiple times over Buckshaw Walter, well, I think, rightfully putting faith in a guy who had a lot of success with him last year. It did not pay off this year. It's it's better to have him right. Uh, I don't, when you look about plans to, to replace guys externally, I think you have to wait and see who the contenders are. And until, you know, before Memorial Day, it's going to be strange to see teams cut bait. One club, I think, with some obvious targets for the Mets would be the Diamondbacks. Uh, just because they have uh, Mark Melanson, who's out right now with COVID, but has remained into his late 30s, extremely effective. The Diamondbacks, I don't think a team a lot of people expect to compete in the National League West, which is which is relatively stacked this year. Um, and so Melanson maybe fits. Uh, Ian Kennedy, a guy who I can feel people's eyes rolling as I mention his name, but a guy who's nonetheless had some success in, in back-end bullpen roles. Maybe... As you move toward the trade deadline, those are some guys that, that you see on the move, and maybe there's a fit there for the Mets. Um, but again, like if every every contending team is going to be looking after these guys, and what and in looking and in anticipating this question, I looked around the league this little uh, a little bit this morning. It's a strange time for the closer position, just because there there are actually like very few very established late-inning relievers closing games for teams. If you look around, like especially like AL West, AL Central, you will find a bunch of guys who, who you have never heard of before. Uh, rookies, guys with very little experience serving in big roles for the bullpens. And that's sort of a reflection of where the game is right now. Uh, I think it's a good, I mean, it's a good thing for teams for sure. Uh, they've dismissed this notion, I think, that that experience should trump 
uh, effectiveness in bullpen construction, bullpen construction. All these guys are so fickle. So much of this depends on health. So much depends on how a guy's slider is moving uh, over the course of, you know, one particular five month span or whatever. And so I think uh, wait and see. I, it's, it's a frustrating thing to say, but I think you have to wait and see. Uh, Andrew L. is waiting patiently. Andrew, what is up? Hi, sorry about that last time. Oh, no worries. <laughs> um, last night's game reminded me of an old Mets Phillies game of yore uh, when they came back from, I forget how many runs against Kurt Schilling. I don't know if in the spirit of remembering some games, what is one of your favorite comeback wins from Mets teams of yesteryear? It's funny. Um, I was thinking about this before the show too. And I wish I had looked up the, I wish I had looked at the specific date. Um, I, I'm going to look up the guy. It will, uh, so two things I thought about. Um, because the, the game that the first game that, that came to mind was not a Mets win. And it was the game the Mets played in 2019 in DC. And I'm sure a, a lot of Mets fans remember this one because it was a, it was another, it was a seven run comeback in the ninth inning, except it was the Nats winning. Uh, and it was at the time when, when I, I have a lot of friends in DC, I, I worked for USA Today, which was, which is based near DC. So I just dealt with a lot of Nats fans on the regular. And, uh, at this time, the Nats were going through the thing where they were having, uh, the games kept ending after the Metro shutdown. So the park would just be completely cleared out on games. And so the Nats came back against the Mets in like a completely empty stadium. And in my head, I thought like that was the turning point of that Nats team season. And that was the moment that they were going to become the world championship team. When I looked back this morning, I saw that they lost four games in a row after that and didn't really turn it on until the last two weeks of September. It sort of speaks to the way we sort of craft these narratives. The Mets game I'm thinking of, I'm pretty sure is from, I'm going to say it was 1995 or 1997 because I'm looking at Carl Everett's time with the Mets and he only hit one home run in 1996. And so I don't, I'm going to say statistically unlikely it was that uh, there was a game. I was there. Uh, it was at Chase stadium. I was there with my friend and his dad. We were in the picnic section, which you almost never got that. Like that was just such a rare thing to sit out in home run territory in Chase stadium. There was so little of it. And we left. It was one of the few games in my entire life. I've left early. And on the radio, we, we listened on the way home, sitting in traffic as Carl Everett hit a grand slam to bring the Mets back to win the game. And I think since then, uh, I have never left the game early. Uh, is there one you're thinking of? Because I think there's another one now that now that I think about that game and never leaving early again, I thought of another one. No, I, I, I just was thinking about that chilling game because, um, you know, I just love the 99 team so much. Yeah. And that was such uh, a big, like, statement was, win of that year. And... That was the 11 run in it. No, it was like in the ninth inning where like, and this is, you know, such a, a sign of the times where like he had a complete, he pitched a complete game, but lost and still gave up like six runs or something in the ninth inning to the Mets. It's like somewhere on YouTube. How, is it, um, I'm remembering a game. Is it, did Piazza home, did Piazza hit a home run? Yeah, you know, I think he did. Was, uh, so, cause I'm, I'm remembering and, and Andrew, I'm going to, uh, remove you from the room now. Thanks for the call. I'm remembering a game, and like again, this is something I've, I remember. Like I've even done a, um, we did a special video on this game. I think they scored 11 runs in an inning. Um, in and I don't, I don't like I. I was against the Braves, so I know it's not the Schilling game. Um, but that is one I'll, for, I'll remember forever, and it's, and it's it's something that it the Carl Everett thing actually jogged my memory. Because I was working, it was, this was so that was in 2000. Um, 
it was I was working at State Stadium as a vendor, and vendors get off. You're done in the in the seventh inning, or at least you could. That's when you could wrap up. And I always and there's always a temptation to beat the traffic when you're working there. You know, like you can you can get out and and you, it's a day's work. It's different than than enjoying a game as an audience member. And uh, they were down by by so much, uh, and it was fireworks night. So you knew that people weren't going to leave. So I kind of felt like I could I could actually enjoy the game and not have to worry about the traffic. And they scored 11 runs and came back and, and won. And that was um, something I always think about when I think about like people talk about Shea Stadium rocking and the way it used to shake. That was the uh, outside of the I was there also for the Robin Ventura Grand Slam single. Those are the two moments when I remember like actually being afraid. Like thinking this this whole place is going to tumble down, uh, and and that one I guess was was special to me because I didn't expect this day. It was just like ah, I'll sit around and watch the game, uh, count my money, finish wrap up after after selling soda all day, um, and bam, uh, what a fun game that was. Piazza hit the home run. I want to say off like the the facing of the little speaking of the home run section at Shea Stadium, like the little overhanging part. Uh, that that did stick out into into fair territory and just all like the line drive rope that hit the wall real real hard and the crowd went nuts. We have some chat. Um, uh, Nick P says in the chat, Carl Evergreen was my second ever game. We stayed for the Grand Slam as a nine year old. I thought it was going to be smooth sailing from from there. I'm so sorry, Nick P. Um, Brian B brings up Jason Vargas's first start in 2007. That came back came back in the ninth, down by four or five against the Cubs. Somehow I've lost the memory of Jason Vargas's first start with the Mets. Monumental though that was. Uh, there's a, a bunch of people throwing out uh, ideas in in the chat for fun for fun Mets comebacks. If you've got some, please uh, step up, join the stage. Uh, in the chat also we have a question. Um, any chance they bring Jordan Yamamoto up for a long reliever role? Uh, Yamamoto is not on the 40-man right now, I, I don't believe. And so, and I don't know what his current health status is. Um, your guess for that is as good as mine. Again, though, like, I feel like we've kind of seen right now who they're thinking about when it turns about in terms of in, internal options, unless they're going to add some guys to the 40-man I, what you see is, is what you've got. We've already had the rosters uh, kind of contract a little bit early in the season. I just, I think I'm not as worried about the bullpen as everyone else. And it's, and that is, could be famous last words. I watched, I was at the last 10 games of the last 10 home games of the 2008 season. Like I, I was there for that. I, I've seen what it looks like when a bullpen just sort of wholesale falls apart. And clearly this Mets bullpen, uh, it's not it's not deep, right? And so uh, if something happens, you know, Diaz gets hurt or ineffective or, or Smith or Lugo or, um, you know, even Jason Shreve at this point seems like an important cog in in that bullpen. Uh, you lose any of those guys, and it's a it's a much much thinner looking group. You start worrying, then you start taxing guys. You start working them too hard. We've seen it all before, um, and and that's when things sort of go off the rails. And once they do, um, and this is something people have written about at length, like there's there's nothing more demoralizing to a baseball team, both uh, you know for the fan base and for I think the players themselves than. Uh, a bullpen that just consistently blows leads because 
Uh, it's it's like you know getting stabbed in the heart every single night. Uh, I don't think we're there yet. I, I don't think that we're we're there yet. Uh, Daniel V wants to know. I you know I, he wants to know when they're going to call up Yoan Lopez to serve the suspension. That's a really interesting question, and I don't know how they handle that. Like that poor guy, because if he wants to pitch again, he's got to he's got to I guess he's got to serve three days of suspension whenever he's next on a major league roster. Which means like as a fringe guy at the end of the bullpen, like when's that going to be? Because you call up a guy like that because you need a fresh arm, not because you want to wait three days for a fresh arm. So uh, you know, hopefully for for Lopez's sake, he hasn't uh cost himself some time on the major league roster before rosters expand in september you would have to hope at the very least if he's still around come then they they would do him the decency of letting him serve out that suspension with a with a uh, on the major league team and and get it done before next year at the very least will b wants to know if it's too soon to be thinking about a subway series world series of course not of course not the yankees have been awesome uh it's like um, you almost lose sight of it because you you expect it a little bit, but the Yankees have been just about the best. I mean, they've been the best team in the American League this year. You look at the playoff odds. Uh, if you go to to Pocota by on Baseball Prospectus, if you go to Fangraphs, the Yankees are are basically the number one team for for reaching the playoffs. A surprising thing, given given that that division is pretty stacked at the top, but uh, I think the Yanks look like they're for real. They they they. They're the Yankees, and the Mets look like a team with a 10% chance of, if, if you're being realistic and you're looking at those odds, they got about a 10% chance of winning the World Series right now, which I think a month ago and heading into this season, if I had told you that that was the case, I think most Mets fans would happily sign up for that. I know every Mets fan would happily sign up for a 19-9 and start and six and a half games out in front of the Atlanta Braves at, at this point of the season. The Marlins in second right now, five and a half games back. The Phillies, a team they're playing. You, you see the cracks in, in the, the Phillies' armor already, and the Phillies feel built to be a thorn in the side rather than a, a competitive team. It's a fun – I think they make, they'll make for some fun games because they're going to have games like last night where they score a bunch of runs because they hit a bunch of home runs and, and, and it's loud. And then uh, you know, they, they're thin in the bullpen. They play bad defense. We like we know this is true. You think when you know that, like, oh, I'm not going to see that play out. But then you watch the Mets play the Phillies, and you actually, you absolutely do see that. Like even the the ball that Marte hit that put them ahead last night, I felt like it hung up. I felt like for one thing, uh, with the the ball baseball last year or two years ago, that ball is six rows deep into the stands based on on how it looked off the bat. But also, I felt like a lot of center fielders in the majors get that ball. It's so rare you see a ball hit off like that. That isn't a line drive um, that that hits off the base of the wall, right? Like that. Like just you, you sort of expect major league outfielders to have the range to get there. Nate H wants to know in the chat, please. If you, it's a more dynamic show. If you have a question, if you join me on stage, I understand that you you might be at work. There might be reasons you can't speak up. You can't. Uh, demonstrate to the people around you that you're listening to me talk about the Mets, but you are welcome to join me on stage. Nate H wants to know once Degrom is healthy, who is the Mets' fifth starter? Uh, I guess he means like who who gets pushed out, uh, um, or or how how you order it. I don't think matters. I think 
you know, it's it's already they're out of turn. Um, already, it doesn't it, it doesn't matter what like who's going after who, unless you're playing like deep strategy, mixing up your lefties. Who's going to give you the the length you need? You want to uh, you probably want to like if, if Degrom's going full gear and and uh, and Scherzer's giving you seven innings every night out, then you probably want those guys spaced out because they they bail out your bullpen a little bit. That's a good problem. That's a that's an August problem because that assumes Degrom is all the way stretched out. I think if you're looking at oh who gets left out of a of a postseason rotation, again this is a very good problem to have. But you know it's got to be oh it's too soon to tell. Like you know it's, it, I mean it's obviously it's drama and it's Scherzer and no it's best. Man, I can't. I don't know. It's that's that's such a good problem. That's such a good problem if you're like oh you know what like we have to choose between. Chris Bassett is pitching tremendously. Cookie Carrasco has been great. And Tyler McGill, who's been this like upstart, uh, you know, out of nowhere ace guy. Um, and so, you know, then I start thinking like routines and who can come pitch out of the bullpen. Part of me just like salivates at the idea of Tyler McGill coming out of the bullpen. And I don't want to say, oh, that's the right move, because if McGill is your third best starter, which at this point, like, uh, that, that could be the case. He's pitched so well that it, and so convincingly that, like, maybe he's for real and he's a front of the rotation guy or, or, or at least a solid, sturdy middle of the rotation guy and, and Carrasco and Bassett don't quite keep this up. You don't want to force McGill out just because he seems like he'd be great in a relief role, but with the... Uh, with the velocity we've seen out of him and and just the, uh, I think, like the, the poise, the slow heartbeat, which we talk about, uh, it just, there's something really alluring to me about him coming out of the bullpen. So I hate to say he's the fifth starter. If that's the question, if it's who's gets squeezed out, I hate to say, oh, it should be McGill because he might translate best to the bullpen. Um, but like, it's harder to imagine Carrasco in that role just because he's he's been a starter and because you know, we know there's like some finickiness with his help all the time. Ryan H is waiting. Uh, Ryan, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for calling. Great. Yeah. Uh, I just had a question about, I wonder if you've seen in certain circles that people are uh, mentioning the Mets low hard hit rate. And uh, I wonder if that was something we should keep an eye on. And also is last night a good reason why we shouldn't keep an eye on that? Uh, I have not seen that in certain circles. Where, where have there been like articles published, or is it just like sort of like like? I've seen I've seen a couple tweets that say the Mets are the have the lowest hard hit rate in baseball right now, which you know obviously we're only a month in the season, but um, you know some I, obviously like skeptics will turn to those things pretty quickly. So I've uh, you know I've seen it here and there. That's a good question, Ryan, and I appreciate the call. Um, I would say, like, that's that is valid, uh, right? Like, exit velocity is is a is a valid stat. It's something that teams were using long before we ever heard of it. It was something that, or or, or at least long before it ever came into like common usage among baseball fans. Before we had StatCast, it is definitely something teams were measuring and looking at. I don't want to say like, oh, this is the newfangled metric that that doesn't matter right now. Uh, I would say. This is a team full of professional hitters who are hitting, performing really well. If they are doing that despite not hitting the ball very hard, I think the bet is that they start hitting the ball harder rather than that their their stats uh, 
fall back to a place or, or line up with uh, not hitting the ball well. Because I don't think and, – and look, maybe they don't have the, the best – the second-best offense in the National League, which is, which is how they've been playing. But uh, I, I think that uh, I think that it's this is a good offense, and I think that if you're if you're fretting about things like that when they're nineteen and nine, look at it the other way and think this is a positive. Like this isn't even this team. If you're saying this team has gotten very lucky and it's playing above its heads and it's hitting above its heads, then you can also say okay, but uh, top to bottom, with the possible exception of the catcher position. This is a good lineup. These are good hitters. These are guys who have proven themselves. And if they are not yet performing as they can, they will. That's how baseball works. Guys, we return to their means. Uh, Paul S. is waiting. What's up, Paul? Um, just on that same vein, what strikes me is this year they're, they're uh, hitting the ball to the opposite field to beat the shift. And maybe when you're doing that, you don't have to hit the ball as hard. You're just putting it in the right spot. I mean, they're hitting with with um, they're driving in runs with two outs. They're hitting with runners in scoring position, both the things that we've had trouble with the last several years. And I just wonder if if placing the ball is is more important than hitting it hard. Uh, Paul, that is an that is a great question. It's something I I I was thinking about mentioning and then sort of got a, got distracted from uh, to the last question. I think it's a it's a great point and and. You'd have to look at the numbers, I guess, like granular to see granularly to see exactly how that has borne out. And if the soft hits that the Mets are succeeding from happen to be a bunch of those opposite field hits. Um, we've heard Jeff McNeil say he's he's not focused on pulling the ball. He's not wor- uh, worried about driving the ball so much. We've seen him. We've seen him lay down bunts for hits. We've seen uh, Nimmo slap the ball the other way a, a bunch of times. I love it. I, I think I think it's hard. It's it's one of these things. It's a, it's a lot easier said than done. I think that uh, facing a major league pitcher in 2022 for a lot of hitters sort of means guessing. I think that if a guy throws 100 with a with a nasty splitter or a nasty slider or whatever, every everybody throws 90s, right? Everybody throws mid 90s to high 90s. Now all of a sudden, everybody's got some nasty breaking pitch, and so. Um, I think you know, very few hitters would will admit it, but I think very many hitters are going are approaching a pitch with a pitch or a quadrant in mind and looking for that pitch and swinging all out. And I think that you know the approach that is so often reviled, uh, all or nothing, is one that is sort of dictated by the quality of pitching in the major leagues. And so I think like it's not so easy to smack a pitch the other way if if the pitch is going to be you know 100 miles an hour in on your hands or uh you know a crazy slider diving towards your back foot and so i think for a lot of guys i think well like if, if i have to sit on a fastball one way or the other like why am i going to try to hit that the other way i might as well try to knock the crap out of the ball and so like i get why that's a hard thing to do at the same time like we've already seen that you do that once or you do that like three times total and all the teams stop shifting. Like we've already seen teams shift left less against McNeil, shift less against Nimmo. And so if you have that ability, and I think the Mets have a bunch of hitters who, who do happen to be like really talented contact hitters, uh, Nimmo and McNeil certainly among them. And so maybe that's, maybe that is the answer to the soft hit thing or the, the, the hard hit rate. Um, I think there's something to trying to hit the ball the other way. I, it, 
it's more fun to watch. Uh, it's more fun to see guys hitting the ball and play than 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 just striking out or, or hitting home runs. Uh, again, like I don't think it's a something that everybody you know people want to say like oh it's the kids these days like extrapolate these like big world problems out of out of the trend toward home runs and strikeouts. Uh, I don't think it's any of that. I think it's just like sort of a, a necessary function of how baseball has developed. Um, but I do think like part of the way maybe you combat shifting and certainly the way you combat shifting uh, is is either you know having your guys focus on contact a little more or collecting hitters who do have that ability uh, and allowing them to do their thing. And so I hope that that's the case. And I hope it keeps up because it's – it's more fun seeing guys spray the ball around the field and get lots of hits than seeing teams score runs with walks and home runs, as much as I love home runs. Edward B. is waiting. What's up, Edward? Hey, Ted. I guess just jumping on what you were just saying, is it Epler, the new coaching staff? Because years before, we always said the Mets are going to play small ball. The Mets are going to play small ball, and they haven't. But for some reason, without the DH, the new vets we got, it, smells, it seems like we are, we're playing small ball finally. Stealing, yeah. collecting hits, going for more singles instead of home runs or extra base hits. Look at Canna. The guy's got like 20 hits and one, two extra base hits. Sorry, I, I, I cut Edward off before he finished his question uh, because I think, I, I think he, had his, he may have had his speakers on. But it's a, it is a good question. And like, I think that it's probably a combination of a lot of things. We have heard, again, uh, McNeil, who has talked about how he's, he's spraying the ball around the field consciously, has credited Eric Chavez, the hitting coach, with that approach. Um, with hitting coaches, with coaches, I'm always like sort of leery of, of giving any guy too much credit. I think it's always a matter of like the right voice for the right player. And so you'll see, you know, uh, one team says, Chili Davis is the best hitting coach I've ever had. He works so well for us. He's... Uh, he's, you know, showing us all these new things and, and we're succeeding. And then uh, he goes to another team and they say, oh, no, no, this guy is bad and it's not it's not working for us. I think a lot of it is there's there's some luck involved. There's just like we're going to credit the hitting coach when when guys do well. But everybody seems to love Eric Chavez. He seems to have a great balance of uh, of an analytic approach with having been there and done that and and and, you know, getting a little bit of of. Uh, cred with the team that way um, and and that real world experience and like how to how to approach an impact that seems to be working for them I think also it's just personnel like the 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 guys that are playing you mentioned Canna like this is the this is the guy they brought Canna in to be he has like he hit 26 home runs in 2019 all home run totals in 2019 gas yeah, uh, otherwise he's never hit 20 home runs he he is not a huge power guy He's a good hitter who gets on base a lot, and and that's what he's doing. It's it's been a little bit extreme this year, um, and I think part of that, um, and maybe part of what we're seeing up and down the board, is that the ball's just not carrying as far. And so whether that's players adjusting to it, or whether it's more balls, you know, falling into the gaps than than uh, than going over the fences or or landing in outfielders' gloves, um, that could be part of it too. It's it's like uh, I, this isn't something else I was looking at this morning. The Mets have a 7.23 OPS right now, which is uh, top half of the National League. It's fourth in the National League, and last year that same number would have had them bottom half. Uh, it's it's 
offense is, is down a bunch across the board. The ball, based on everything we know, doesn't seem to be carrying nearly as much as it had in the past. And so I think that it makes for this type of baseball. And uh, if you're like me and you're only watching the Mets, it says like, oh, that's that's how the Mets are playing right now. I wonder if we were watching the 29 other teams, if we would be saying the same thing. Yanni, a frequent guest, welcome back. Hey there, Ted. Uh, thanks for having me back here. Um, I wanted to uh, talk on the point of Edwin Diaz because you brought it up. You know, I, I think we're all still a little scarred from 2019 um, when, you know, the Mets are trying to make a run and he just kept giving up those home runs. But, you know, mm. to your point, I really love him. I don't know how you can't. Um, he He's just such a, a fun pitcher to watch when he's on. And uh, I mean, you saw with the no hitter, like he, you know, you usually get that diplomatic answer from pitchers like, oh, I didn't realize it was a no hitter. You know, oh, I he just, knew he knew and he was smiling about it ear to ear. You know, he was so excited about it. And, and don't you just love that on on the team you root for? And, um, you know, I was listening to, to Evan Roberts on the fan and, and he was making the great point that, like, you know, nowadays met New York fans with Edwin Diaz or oldest Chapman. There are days when they're off and they blow leads and we get upset. But, you know, New Yorkers are used to Mariano Rivera, who's just perfect. But, you know, they're going to have their nights when they don't step up or they don't have it, where they're tired, whatever it may be. But like you said, when Diaz is on, I mean, his slider is just unhittable and his fastball, too. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to ask a question. Maybe you know the answer to this. Maybe someone else in the call does. I do not. I, if I remember correctly, in 2019, he did not have that trumpet walk-in song. And I brought, I went to the doubleheader on Tuesday, and I brought a friend of mine who's like a pretty casual Mets fan that hasn't been to a game in years. So he didn't know about this like walk-in song, and he could not stop talking about it for the rest of the evening. He was like, that is just such a pump-up. And I wonder if, like, what are the origins of that, that walk-in song, but also like, I wonder if that really helps push him over the edge, gets him excited and pumped up uh, more so than the average, you know, walk up music for, for a hitter or a pitcher in, in baseball. That's a great question. Yanni sort of answered it himself. Uh, and it was exactly where I was going when he was asking about Edwin Diaz's rough 2019 versus 2020 and 2021, 2021 because Edwin Diaz actually said as much, um, which is something you'll almost never hear from a player. But he said, uh, I found I pulled up a it's a, a story from uh, metrospective guest and nemesis Tony DeComo at MLB.com uh, a story from from early in last season actually from spring training last year uh, when Diaz says uh, he decided to go back to his old music and he found that it motivates him and energizes him to to go out there and pitch and uh, having heard the song as you've all heard the song I think it's it's a hard thing to deny. Um, it's, it seems like a ridiculous explanation, but I, I believe it because I know, and, and listeners of the show may remember me telling Tim, like, I added this song to my morning run playlist, and whenever it comes on in there in the shuffle, uh, I pick up my pace by like 50% because the sound of, of Timmy Trumpet uh, belting out his triumphant horn line over blaster jacks's throbbing house beat is just the type of thing i think we all get amped up for and uh edwin diaz is is human like the rest of us so who isn't inspired by timmy trumpet 
I have said and I will maintain, I will use this platform to advocate for the Mets welcoming uh, up to 50, 100, however many fans with trumpets. Uh, if you can prove you can play that line on the trumpet, you get in the door for free under the understanding that when Edwin Diaz comes into the game, you will make yourself prominent and play that line because I want that incorporated. Uh, I want a live music element incorporated into an already awesome uh, entrance into the game. That is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much to everyone who took calls. Uh, Andy McCullough should be back sometime next week uh, for, for another chat with him. Tim will be back at some point in the near future. We look forward to that. The Mets have a full split slate of games. Until then, I will be around to talk about it. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining on stage, and peace out.